Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our 2021 NBA mock draft. So we are one day out from the 2021 NBA draft. So Jalen and I decided we're going to do a mock draft of our own just for the first round. So Jalen, before we get started, just explain the process of what we're going to be doing today. Yeah, so basically anybody who's listened to any of these mock drafts um, done with two people before, this, the process is really simple. Basically, me and Ryan are going to alternate. Ryan has all the odd picks starting with the number one overall pick, and I have all the even picks starting with number two. And from that point forward, we're all going to we're basically going to go through all 30 picks, assign players to those teams. We are drafting these players according to what our personal philosophy is. We do have to throw that out there because these aren't official big boards that are going to be determining anything by any means. We obviously have no influence on GMs and we don't have the ears or, um, you know, of, you know, high level scouts and stuff like that, that are going to be able to get a read of the room. But we've done our research. We've looked at a million different mock drafts and big boys over the last couple of days. There was actually even a recent trade that involved the Memphis Grizzlies and the New Orleans Pelicans that also influences this setup as well, where Memphis now has the 10th overall pick and New Orleans has the 17th pick. We have taken that into account as well. So, yeah, Ryan, I mean, we can pretty much just kick things off with the uh, first overall pick uh, being made still at this point by the Detroit Pistons, despite what they are trying to let us believe. <laughs> so with that being said, with the first overall pick, the Detroit Pistons will select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Averaged 20.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds a game, 3.5 assists a game. He has a versatile skill set that includes being a strong finisher at the rim and the potential to become a great defender in the league. And he's also a good shooter that I feel like he can improve with more time. And I think that it's it's really the obvious number one pick here in the NBA draft. Detroit's building for the future and Cade's going to be part of that future. Last year, they drafted Killian Hayes. They also drafted Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart to begin the real rebuilding process. Bay and Stewart have stepped up big time for the Pistons, and they had two productive rookie seasons. I think what will be interesting is to see the fit next to Killian Hayes because Hayes has only played 26 games this past season due to injuries. So if Hayes can stay healthy, this backcourt of Kate Cunningham and Killian Hayes could be a dominant backcourt for the future. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one just out of the fact that Detroit has led us to believe that they're shopping the first overall pick. They've also led us to believe that Kate Cunningham might not be a lot. I think the reality of things is when you look at things from a BPA standpoint, along with the fact that Kate Cunningham has one of the highest floors in the draft, it's one of those things when you're a three and D wing caliber prospect and you're considered to be the best one in this version of the NBA, it's kind of one of those things that's a no brainer. I know that there's been a lot of things debunking Cade as a number one overall pick when you focus on things like his turnover rate at Oklahoma uh, State and things like that. But at the end of the day, I, I genuinely believe that Cade's going number one. He's been on the top of boards all year. And for most people, it still hasn't changed. I think that's a good way to start off the pod. With, with the for sure pick to kick things off. Um, I'm going to follow up things with the second overall pick. We're in a situation right now with the Houston Rockets, and despite them having Kevin Porter, I think he's going to be um, a one for this team. I see the Houston Rockets selecting Jalen Green. 
um, from the G League Ignite team, the first ever G League Ignite signee, if everybody remembers. That was a big debut thing that took place. Um, I think it was on uh, like YouTube or Instagram live when the signing took place, which was huge. Uh, 19 and a half years old, 6'6", 178 pounds, dropped 17.9 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and a steal and a half in the G League Ignite. He was arguably... I would say maybe even easily the G League Ignite's best player. I think one of the biggest things is that he has one of those top-end athletic, uh, athletic bills that has him, you know, lined up with like the Zach Levines of the world in the NBA. Um, I think that's huge because at this age, I think he's a lot, I think he's already showed a lot more versatility on both ends of the floor, specifically on the offensive end as a finisher than where Zach was coming out of UCLA at this same time frame. So I think with that, along with the fact that he didn't play around a lot of spacing um, in the G League Ignite, I mean, Jared Jack, not really a shooter. Jonathan Kamingo, who we'll probably talk about a little bit later, not really much of a shooter either. It was in a circumstance where I think that he will only get better as the spacing around him improves. And I think Houston is going to be a team that wants to outgun people next year. And I think that he can easily, easily ingratiate himself into that kind of area and be one of their, you know, top level scorers. And I think Houston's young core is only improving over time. If we talk about Kevin Porter Jr., Kenyon Martin Jr., Christian Wood, now you add Jalen Green to that mix, that's going to be a very dangerous core for the future. And especially for the Houston Rockets, who are a very young team right now on the rebuild. So I think getting a guy like Jalen Green could really help improve this team's stock for the future. With a third overall pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers will select Evan Mobley from USC. 16.4 points a game, 8.7 rebounds a game, 2.4 assists a game. A great rim protector and a player that has been described as a seven-foot wing with the way he defends the perimeter. And he's a player that doesn't turn the ball over much or commit fouls very often. And we talk about a player with defensive upside. Jalen, his defensive upside could be valuable to the Cavaliers who are just looking to improve on defense. And he has the potential to form a formidable front court duo with Jared Allen, and he and he can potentially join the solid young Cavs core of Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Jared Allen if he resigns. So Mobley could end up being a force in the NBA if the Cavs take advantage of his defensive potential. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things you touched on was the defensive potential. I think that he's a guy who can play next to Jared Allen. I think that's one of the huge things that when you hear about the idea of the Cleveland Cavs, addressing the center position, knowing that Jared Allen is like their top level free agent that they're going to be paying attention to in terms of making any re-signings over, um, over the course of this offseason. I think the biggest thing that can't be taken out of context is the fact that he's a guy who I think is a pretty diligent passer, average 2.4 assists um, last year with USC, but I honestly think it could have gotten even better with that. I think his, um, his ability to play next to his brother Isaiah, I think the fact that they are so – like wavelengthy, I think they were the, also the primary, you know, runners of the offense, even from down low. I think with better guard play, I think he could have actually been even better as a facilitator for that team. I think that Cleveland needs help at the guard position, but I think that if they keep Colin Sexton, it'll be a little too crowded to address it this way. I think you they will want to go more of the veteran route, as our, our homie Peter Burnett told us on the, uh, the Cleveland Cavs episode. If you didn't check that out, definitely check that out. Um, he goes into their draft process very, um, very in-depth to a certain extent in terms of why Evan fits with their team. Um, I think that's a really good pick for Cleveland. I think that they're going to be a position where they could 
arguably based on a lot of the debates that have been made throughout this draft process, Evan Mobley could actually be the guy with the most upside potential in this draft and Cleveland would get away with stealing him at three. So I think that would be huge. The Toronto Raptors are up on the board and I'm looking at Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. I think that this addresses a lot of things that have come up so far this offseason. The first thing is that obviously this Toronto Raptors team is going to have to work on getting a little bit younger, right? OG Anunoby, um, Pascal Siakam, who's been in a lot of trade talks and stuff as of late. Um, their primary core, I think, of what they want is a little bit in the middle of the pack area in terms of being either a youth movement or a team that's ready now. I think Jalen Suggs is a guy at the point guard position, especially with the fact that there's questions about Kyle Lowry's potential to return, that I think that he's the perfect guy to step in and play next to other guys while also being a frisky defender at the guard position who can probably play against ones and twos. He was a guy for Gonzaga who pretty much just had to steer the ship. He didn't have to do very much, and I think that he showed enough athletic pop and a lot of interesting flashy passes here and there as a high IQ guy that can step into a developmental system like Toronto's and thrive pretty early as a guy who can start next to Fred Van Vliet. So I'm going to go with Jalen Suggs for the Toronto Raptors at four. And I think fit is going to be the name, the name of the game in this episode, because we talk about a guy like Jalen Green and his fit with Gonzaga. He didn't have to do very much considering, like you said earlier, they had Corey Kisper and Drew Timmy doing most of the scoring. And we're going to definitely talk about Corey Kisper a little bit later in this episode and his draft potential. But I think for Jalen Suggs, I think it's a pretty good fit in Toronto considering that they don't really know what they're doing right now. We don't know if this is a win now team or if this is a team that's destined for a rebuild, but Jalen Suggs, could be the point guard for the future, depending on what happens with Kyle Lowry in Toronto. With the fifth overall pick, I believe the Orlando Magic will select Jonathan Kaminga from the G League Ignite team. 15.8 points per game, 7.2 rebounds a game, 2.7 assists per game in the G League season. A strong rebounder, great athlete. He's another player that has a lot of defensive upside. Kaminga would join a front court for Orlando that has a lot of players who are fighting for playing time, like Chumo Kiki, Dante Hall, Ignis Brasdikis, and Mo Bamba. This team doesn't have Jonathan Isaac, who's also an improving forward for them before he got injured. So I think that this pick will be based off the timetable for Jonathan Isaac's return. And I think Kaminga is a talented prospect that has the potential to thrive on a rebuilding team with a new coach who has a great relationship with players. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing to touch on is the fact that he's a prototype, 6'8", 210 pounds, very athletic guy, um, not too much crazy pop, but I think a guy that can definitely get down on both ends as a as what would be described as a 3 and D wing. Interesting thing about that 3 and D aspect is that he does have to improve as a three-point shooter. He was shooting just about around 30%. Um, for most of the time that uh, he was at the G League Ignite. I think that the fact that he wasn't a superb shooter um, at that position makes it a little interesting on ter in terms of where he could project, project at this position specifically. But when you have the prototypical body build frame along with a certain, you know, I would say uh, adequate athleticism for the position, I think that he's a guy who's going to be able to translate at least definitely on the defensive end for Orlando easily. I would say that would be his most uh, seamless transition to the NBA. I think if he can get that three-point shot down pat, down pat, 
he could emerge into a top level score for that team. And considering they are a bit thin at the at the wing position specifically in terms of talent, I think that Jonathan Kaminga is a perfect fit for this team. Um, next up, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. And this is a tricky one because they they are at six and we were definitely banking on them to have one or two of these picks already before the uh, the lottery night had hit. So with the sixth overall pick, I think I'm going to uh, – I think for them I'm going to select Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. He's a guy that's been discussed with this team a lot throughout this uh, this draft process. He's a guy that I honestly wouldn't be surprised if on draft night Oklahoma uh, decided to move up in some kind of way. I've seen certain mocks that have, have them trying to move up and swap spots with Cleveland just to be able to target a guy like Scotty Barnes. Um, he's a guy who did not show a ton at Florida State, but I feel like if you're looking at the statistics alone, that you're not getting the full rundown of exactly who Scotty Barnes is. This is a guy who's been described as someone who you could arguably put at your point guard position as a 6'9 guy, and he'll make positive decisions with the ball. The biggest things that are hurting him, obviously, is his his. Uh, I don't want to say lack thereof, but his not big motor on the scoring in the scoring department. He's a high motor player from an effort standpoint, but he's not a guy who's going to work very hard to go get his own shot and create his own offense. He's a guy who really is the definition of a glue guy, which I think for Oklahoma City actually works really well because they have a million prospects all over the place that they're trying to figure out who's who. And they need a guy to be able to kind of bring that all together and weed out who fits and who doesn't. Um, so I think Scotty Barnes is in a really interesting situation as a guy who can probably play the three, four for this team, maybe a small, a small ball five in certain circumstances. He's going to be an elite passer all out from the different day one. And the first thing that I imagine when you talk about him in the Oklahoma City jersey is the level of defense between him and Lugan's door. It's going to be ridiculous to see them on the perimeters hunting dudes down. So I definitely think that Scotty Barnes is going to be um, a really interesting guy for OKC and be somebody who can play for them pretty frequently out the gate. Yeah, when you think about Scotty Barnes, you think about upside, and that's been the word that's been attached to his name throughout this draft process. When you talk about his versatility, being able to play multiple positions on the floor, his defensive skills as well. His scoring definitely comes into question. I definitely thought he could have played a bigger role in the NCAA tournament with Florida State. But I think that with the upside that he has, a lot of teams are very intrigued by it. So I would not be surprised if he ends up being a top five pick or even a top 10 pick if he slips out of the top five. With the seventh overall pick, the Golden State Warriors will select Davion Mitchell from Baylor. 14 points a game. 2.7 rebounds a game, 5.5 assists a game last season. And his stock rose immensely coming out of the NCAA tournament. He's an excellent defender and he's capable of guarding the opponent's best player. When you look at his offensive game, he's an impressive three-point shooter with good playmaking and ball handling skills. As far as his fit goes on the Warriors, the Warriors are in a situation where they want to win now. And Mitchell is a player that has the potential to start alongside Stephen Clay. At worst, I think of him as being the sixth man off the bench. But either way, Davion Mitchell is capable of giving this team scoring and strong defense, which is good for a player that could be a day one starter for a team that's in win now mode. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Davion is, especially if Golden State is going to be making the, any picks with these uh, two selections they have in the lottery area, is the main thing is if they're 
in win now mode, they're going to go older players. I think that we're going to see that consistently with um, both of our picks in terms of Golden State because I actually have 14. And I think that that's going to be a really interesting thing moving forward because as much as we would like to see athletic upside, I've seen James Booknight mentioned with this team a lot throughout the time. I think the growth of Jordan Poole has been something that's extremely huge. And I think being able to put a guy like Davion Mitchell, who's a good facilitator and definitely makes up for Jordan Poole's lack of defense, although he showed a lot of effort on that side of the ball, Davion Mitchell is gonna be able to lock up on that side. And I think, again, talking about similar to Jonathan Kaminga, I think the biggest thing for him is his athleticism along with his build is something that's gonna translate right away, despite the fact that I would say he's a little, a little undersized for the position is not going to be a guy who's going to be like a flamethrower scorer, but we've seen Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole go off um, every now and then. And I think with the with, with um, the right facilitator next to him, I think he'll be in a really good position. Um, speaking of scores, though, uh, moving to the eighth overall pick with Orlando Magic coming up again, uh, we looked at Jonathan Kaminga and we already talked about his upside as, uh, as an athlete, both on the offensive and defensive end. I want to focus strictly on bucket getting for a second, because at the end of the day, Orlando is going to be trying to trot out there a handful of guys who can really put the ball in the basket. They're still a highly offensive based team and not a team that's got a ton of versatility around it. And with that being said, I think they go with James Booknight out of UConn. I think he's a really interesting prospect for them because, yes, I understand. It gets a little crouchy when you talk about Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton. But at the end of the day, this is high upside talent at the guard position that they don't really have. They don't really have any guy on their team that has crazy athletic bursts at a proper you know, two guard position. Don't get me wrong. Cole Anthony is a hyper athlete, but he's a guy who pretty much is a hyper athlete for being a one. And I think that that's one of the things that really stands out to me when you look at this guy, 6'4", about nearly 6'5", average 18.7 points per game up at UConn, 5.7 rebounds, which is really beneficial out of the fact that they need more rebounding out of their guard position. They're really undersized backcourt already. And one of the big things that really stands out to me when it comes to when it comes to a guy like book Knight is although he is a score first guy and was asked to carry the load at UConn he is a guy who will give out heavy effort on the defensive end and I think that that's going to be huge when you're talking about a young team that's trying to establish an identity if you have a guy like Jonathan Isaac you have a guy like Chuma Okeke from Auburn as well and then you match that in with James Booknight and um, and you talk about the mixture that he will have next to a guy like Jonathan Kaminga as well, the versatility automatically makes them a little bit better as a team. You combine versatility with the fact that he was also a national player of the year candidate if he was not injured as well. So this is a player in James Booknight who has a lot of potential, but like you said, I think the fit will be interesting considering that it's a crowded backcourt as well. I mentioned with the crowded frontcourt with Jonathan Kaminga, it's the same situation with Orlando's backcourt, considering you have Marco Fultz who's coming back from injury. Cole Anthony, who was our rookie second team. RJ Hampton, who came over in a trade with the Denver Nuggets. So it's just about fit. And I know Book Knight's going to be, or going to get some significant playing time in the NBA. So it's just about how much of it he's going to get and where his fit will be with the Orlando Magic. With the ninth overall pick, the Sacramento Kings will select Franz Wagner from Michigan. 12.5 points a game, 6.5 rebounds a game, three assists a game last season with Michigan. 
Wagner is one of the best defenders in the draft, and the Kings struggled on defense last season. He's also a good spot-up three-point shooter with solid court vision. Wagner can also help this team in transition as a finisher, as the Kings ranked 10th in the league in pace of play last season. So I feel like they can only improve with a guy like De'Aaron Fox continuing to run the point for that team. And Sacramento is a very interesting team as well, especially in the past couple of years. I feel like this could be a situation where it's a win, where they they're in win now mode, where they can trade the pick or or they can continue developing their young players and use the ninth overall pick to draft Wagner. So I've heard a couple different things about how they might trade the pick, they might keep the pick, but either way, when you get if you get Franz Wagner, he gives you the ability to help you boost up your defense. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. When you talk about Franz, the main thing that you talk about is the defensive end. One of the biggest and most notable moments when you talk about Franz is how he locked up Scotty Barnes in the NCAA tournament in their matchup with Florida State. I think that that doesn't tell the entire story. Franz was easily Michigan's best defender. I think mixing him with a guy like Isaiah Livers was like the, was the most interesting mashup in terms of like the kind of wing depth that they had on that kind of team. Um, and Michigan was a top-ranked team for a reason, and Franz had a lot to do with that, mainly, of course, being that he was one of the country's most elite defenders. So I think that giving a Sacramento Kings team that is already getting a lot of effort defensively from a guy like De'Aaron Fox and uh, what they did in terms of uh, getting a pickup in Tyrese Halliburton, who also was no slouch on that side, um, in terms of the backcourt, sharing things up at the wing position now, I think it's a really good way to lock things down, especially with the fact that Harrison Barnes could be on the trade block. A guy like Rashawn Holmes at the center position could be on his way out. And Lord only knows what's going on with Marvin Bagley. So with that being the case, you know, time to start getting some sure, some sure things down there um, in Sacramento. Um, moving over to the 10th overall pick with the now Memphis Grizzlies making this selection. Um, I'm going to go with Josh Giddy out of Australia, 6'9 guy who uh, plays point guard down there. But I think he's a guy who pretty much meets the mold or fits the mold of everything that Memphis needs right now. Another guy who can pick up the pace for this team, be a high, um, high volume uh, shot creator for their team, especially on the second unit. But even as a guy who could play next to John Morant as another facilitator, he's a guy who I think. I mean, his unreal ability to pass is one of the things that's really caught everybody by surprise, but he's no slouch as a rebounder either. Um, at 6'8", 205 pounds, he averaged 7.4 rebounds, 7.4 assists, 10.8 points per game. He's not going to be asked to be a high-volume shooter by any chance in terms of playing on Memphis because John Moran and Dylan Brooks got that by by a long shot. And if you need somebody else in the mix, then I guess you can really, you know, work your way to a guy like Josh Giddy, But I think they're in a position right now where I think getting a little bit more size, a little bit more, um, a little bit more facilitating across the board and getting a guy that fits their timeline with even more of a chance to improve beyond this next to a guy like John Morant to feed off of. I think Josh Giddy fits really well with what Memphis is trying to put together. So with the first overall pick, we have the Detroit Pistons take Cade Cunningham. The second overall pick, we had the Houston Rockets take Jalen Green. With the third overall pick, we had the Cleveland Cavaliers take Evan Mobley. With the fourth overall pick, we had the Toronto Raptors take Jalen Suggs. With the fifth overall pick, we had the Orlando Magic take Jonathan Kuminga. With the sixth overall pick, we had the Oklahoma City Thunder take Scotty Barnes. 
With the seventh overall, seventh overall pick, we had the Golden State Warriors take Davion Mitchell. With the eighth overall pick, we had the Orlando Magic up again taking James Booknight. At number nine, we had the Sacramento Kings taking Frost Wagner. And at number 10, we had a situation involving a trade that now has the Memphis Grizzlies at 10 taking Josh Giddy. So moving away from our top 10 and moving to pick number 11, with the Charlotte Hornets pick at number 11, they will select Kai Jones from Texas. 8.8 points per game, 4.8 rebounds a game, and 0.6 assists per game. This is a player that has a lot of potential, but definitely needs to continue to develop on both sides of the floor. He's a mobile defender who's pretty good on the ball, also has the capability of being a solid rim protector as well. He's athletic, and he could end up being a dangerous lob threat for Charlotte. This is a pick that fills a position of need. The Hornets have had a hole at center, and they just drafted Vernon Carey last year in the second round, and P.J. Washington has been their small ball five. But Kai Jones has been steadily climbing, steadily climbing draft boards, and he seems like the center prospect for the future. So I think this makes sense for Charlotte to pick Kai Jones. I think the biggest thing, Ryan, that's, that's most important about the pick that you made in general is that he is one of the most polarizing prospects in this draft and at the center position his boom bust potential is ridiculously high on both ends as a guy who that if he's not in the right position some have argued he could be out of the league in three years I think when you talk about being next to a facilitator like LaMelo Ball it puts him in the best position possible to maximize most of his potential which mainly falls as a rim running big who likes to casually shoot the three every now and then wasn't an elite three-point shooter from the film from what I would say but he definitely has the athleticism and the the work ethic slash effort on both sides of the ball that if his potential can be tapped into I think that he's a guy who could really show up big for them at the center position and it's obviously their biggest hole I mean it's the by far one of the biggest things that's been affecting their team is the fact that they are soft in the middle this is a team that's known for the Frank Kaminsky pick once upon a time and they haven't really improved at the center position since then so I think that Kai Jones high upside pick with a guy next to uh, like LaMelo Ball to be next to him facilitating. I think that can make things really interesting in terms of figuring out exactly who Kai Jones is as a player. Cause I don't think Texas really surely maximized exactly who that guy is with San Antonio up next at number 12, man. Oh man, Ryan, you threw a monkey wrench in my picks early. So I have to make an adjustment here. And I think that I'm going to go with the foreign big again, man. I'm going to go with this homie, Alpernin Sengun, a guy who's been discussed very heavily throughout this draft process as a guy who low-key is a sleeper. A guy um, by the name of John Hollinger, if you've ever heard of him, a guy who is definitely a, a primetime NBA writer, has been well-documented as saying that he believes Alpernin Sengun is a guy who could go top five from a talent perspective. And I think that being able to get – um a guy like this at the center position, especially with the fact that, remember, Point DeMar is not going to be on this team anymore. A guy who was a big-time rebounder who played the one through five for this team at one point. Remember, also with the releasing or, I guess, the buyout of LaMarcus Aldridge, this team gets very thin at that power forward center position. I think Auburn and Sangoon is a little bit on the short end in terms of playing the position specifically, but I think he's a guy at 6'10", 240 pounds, 
that I think his physicality, although he is a bit of a more traditional center, I think fits more of the slow paced style that San Antonio tends to run. Average 19 points per game, 8.7 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.6 blocks and 1.3 steals in the Turkish league. There's, there's a big saying about over league play overseas play that I think is huge. There's two things that usually come to mind. The first thing is that a player that plays to this caliber overseas has a track record of never failing, never failing in the NBA. Do they always turn into the Luka Doncic's or Nikola Jokic's of the world? Obviously, that's one of those things that's a little bit struggle, a little bit more difficult to actually, you know, put two and two together for. But when you have a resume like this, overseas they tend not to fail the second thing is that although he does play a bit more of a traditional center style he's a guy who does have a bit of a three-point shot and with him being 19 years of age as a guy who has already displayed a small inkling of a stroke from beyond the arc he's only going to improve as things get along go along and what place better to go then San Antonio, a.k.a. the place that had the shot doctor that fixed Kawhi Leonard's jumper. So I think that this is a perfect scenario to be able to maximize a guy like Alperin Singun. And he's a player that's been steadily rising draft boards also. If we think about where Singun was or was slated to be drafted, I saw a couple uh, draft boards where he was slated around the 7-8-9 area. So he could end up being a top 10 pick with the potential that he has. You talk about his physicality. I think that San Antonio really needs a physical center. And especially with San Antonio being one of the best developmental teams in the NBA, I think that it could be almost a perfect pick for Sengun to be selected by the San Antonio Spurs. With the 13th overall pick, the Indiana Pacers will select Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. 18.6 points per game last season, five rebounds, 1.8 assists per game. And Jalen, it's no question that Corey Kispert is one of the best three-point shooters coming out of this draft. And he also has the potential to be a 50-40-90 guy in his career. He has solid shot-creating skills, whether it's on the ball where he can use his pump fake to attack the lane, or even off the ball where he can create space and get open for a shot. In terms of his fit with the Pacers, this is a guy who can give you 15 to 20 points coming off the bench, but could also end up being a starter depending on the timetable for TJ Warren's return. So the Pacers need depth at the small forward position. And I think that getting a consistent shooter like Kispert could be the best fit. Yeah, and I think that the interesting thing that comes with Corey Kispert is the fact that he's going to be stepping into a situation where he's literally just going to be the guy that everybody knows the maximization of his talent translates to in the NBA. And that's a spot-up 3 and D shooter. Now, the defense part is where things get a little struggling, but obviously as a three-point shooter, he's one of the best in the country, if not the best shooter in this draft. So I think that that's going to fit very well with the fact that they have plenty of guys plenty of dudes who are going to be able to shot create for this team um, when you look across the board. Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon is at the top of that list. And I think that with the return of TJ Warren at the forward position, that definitely helps things out as well. I think this team is pretty filled out as it goes along. And I think with the fact that we haven't really gotten anything figured out with the with the future of Miles Turner, I think addressing the wing position is the safest thing to do to avoid making your back court, I mean, making your front court any more crouchy than it already is, to be honest. So I think Corey Kispert is a really safe pick for Indiana team that also can't really be hurt by any means of grabbing a big-time shooter in the draft. Ryan, 
I have to admit, my friend, you have definitely stumped me very well in this in this draft process so far, and I am actually enjoying the brain exercises taking place. And I mentioned to you beforehand that we were going to go a little bit on the older end in terms of GSW talking about Golden State, and I have the 14th overall pick for them. But I have to make a pivot now because there's a guy in particular that has not gone off the board yet that I do not see falling any further than the lottery. And that's the homie Moses Moody out of Arkansas. Now, I'm really surprised that he was able to fall this far. Honestly, I thought that this would have been the perfect opportunity between either San Antonio or Indiana to snag up a guy like Moses Moody. But somewhere up in Golden State heaven, they are looking at a guy like Moses Moody and saying, oh, man, we have another 3 and D wing to put behind a guy like Clay Thompson. That is an excellent way to have the second unit uh, man down a little bit or and in their circumstances, because you look at their initial pick that they made with a guy like Davion Mitchell. Now you add another guy to the extent of a guy like Moses Moody, who has the versatility while also being a, a primary shot creator as a guy who played um, really strong on both ends for Arkansas. Average 16.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds a game at 6'6", 211 pounds, fresh 19, which gives them a lot of time to be able to develop as well. This is one of those picks that is looking a little bit down the line. Ryan, if I'm being completely honest with you, this is probably one of the picks out of the two picks that Golden State is making that I genuinely don't think they're going to actually end up making in the draft tomorrow night. But also wouldn't be surprised if they were stuck in a situation because there's been a lot of news around Bradley Beal saying that he is not for sale. So I think that that is one of those things that is going to influence them a lot. And Moses Moody, in a situation where you don't really want to be taking this pick, the best thing you can do is go with the best player available. And I think Moses Moody would be the best available player at that point. And considering the season that he had in Arkansas, he definitely has that capability of being a top 10 pick. So he may not even fall to 14. So I think that could be a really interesting thing when we watch the draft tomorrow night is to see if Moses Moody is a top 10 pick, like a lot of experts think he is. With the 15th overall pick, the Washington Wizards will select Usman Garuba from Spain, another player with high defensive upside. He's a strong rebounder and a strong defender as he's able to get blocks, deflections, and steals. Garuba is another player that I feel like he needs to develop in a lot of areas, but I think that improving his shooting from three and from the line has to be the priority. Jalen, he shot 31% from three and 65% from the line last season with Real Madrid. Considering Washington was a struggling defensive team last season, I think that this could be a solid pick for them, but I could also see them going in other directions, especially with the futures of Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook in question. Yeah, I think that this is one of those tricky ones because Bradley Beal's future has a lot to do with what will happen moving forward for Washington, right? Because if he's not moved, this is a team that's still looking in win-now mode. So obviously the first thing you would want to address is probably one of the league's worst defenses. Lord, in the last five years or so, when we're talking about Washington, this is a team that has been a run and gun offense that does not want to play on that other side of the ball and would love to score 140 plus a night. Usman Garuba gives them another bit of foreign flavor after two years straight of making some overseas selections, talking about Denny Abdiya and obviously the homie Rui Hashimura. But this addresses a specific need that the team needs. Um, the team is full of buckets. I mean, just the backcourt alone, 
enough buckets to go around. But this team desperately, desperately, desperately needs to address the defensive end. I think Usman Garuba is exactly that guy for them. I think that this is an interesting circumstance where especially because of the fact that we were able to see a lot out of Daniel Gafford and knowing that Thomas Bryant is coming back, the center position is relatively locked up. So we've got to do whatever we want to at this point. I would love to get a backup point guard as a Wizards fan at this position, but I think that Usman Garuba addresses too much of a strong need when it comes to this team. So I think that's an excellent pick. Now we're moving to number 16, and we're talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Been a minute since we heard this name called up, man. Oklahoma City did not get dealt the fair card in this draft at all, bro. But I'll tell you what will definitely be something that will make OKC fans happy. I think at number 16, they get a steal, a guy who was once mocked to be in the top five before the year kicked off, grabbing a guy in Zaire Williams out of Stanford. I think this is a perfect scenario for Oklahoma City as a guy who is a very, very misunderstood prospect, I feel like. For those who don't know, this was a guy who, at Stanford, they barely really got to play any games. They were going from hotel to hotel, playing pretty much on the road the entire time. He also experienced a death in the family due to COVID, which was a huge thing that I'm sure if you're an 18 or 19 year old out there would probably be weighing on your mind. And you don't even have to be that young to know that this was just a trying last year and a half or so for all of us. So I think with that being the case, especially being on a team that I wouldn't argue really would maximize a guy like this, I think that Zaire Williams is in a really interesting situation because he's a 6'9", nearly 6'10 guy that averaged 10.7 points per game, 4.6 rebounds. And I think at 19 years old, as a guy that already has a pretty fluid offensive game, something that we saw at Sierra Canyon a lot, as a guy who can get a step back jumper off, create for himself, definitely be an elite ball handler. Put that guy next to a guy like Shea Gildas-Alexander, and he's already going to be walking into a situation with another really versatile guy in Scotty Barnes, who they picked at number six. I think that this is a team that will start shaping out really nicely between those two picks, and I think that Zaire Williams gets the perfect chance to showcase his talents in a pretty much run-freely kind of offense and run-freely kind of organization that is Oklahoma City who's just pretty much trying to figure out who's going to stick on their roster long term. Jalen, this is the first wrench that you have thrown into my plans because I had Sire Williams going at 21 to the New York Knicks. This is a guy that has solid ball handling skills, the potential to be a solid scorer and any solid playmaker. He's also improved as an off-the-ball defender, creating problems for opposing teams by cutting off passing lanes. I think that this is a guy who has a lot of potential with the Oklahoma City Thunder, considering that it's it's about fit for him now. I think wh- where is he going to fit on this Oklahoma City Thunder team with a lot of young players fighting for playing time? Definitely has a lot more to show when he gets to the NBA, and I think Oklahoma City could be a great fit for him. With the 17th overall pick, the New Orleans Pelicans will select Trey Murphy the third from Virginia. 11.3 points per game last season, 3.4 rebounds a game, 1.2 assists per game. Murphy is an underrated prospect in the draft, and he's become a very solid 3 and D wing for the Virginia Cavaliers. He has a quick release from three, and defensively he has the fundamentals to make him an excellent defender. The Pelicans are a team that really needs to improve in both shooting and defense, and I think getting Trey Murphy would be a solid choice to help them out with both. And then also when you think about the Pelicans in general as a team, they need 
to help build a supporting cast around Zion Williamson. I think trading for Jonas Valanciunas was a start, but now you have to develop your younger players to mold that supporting cast. I think Trey Murphy could be part of this young supporting cast for New Orleans. Yeah, and I think Trey Murphy is so interesting because when you talk about his time um, at Virginia, I think the biggest thing that you look at when you talk about him as a prospect is he, he's not a guy that like blew up off, you know, being a high volume creator for this team. He was a guy who basically has been flying up boards because of his workouts as a recent. And again, Ryan, the name of the game in this draft is if you can find yourself a high level wing, you got to throw a bone at him, right? You got to at least give him a chance because that's the high commodity in the league nowadays. You get yourself a high producing wing and you're looking at a situation where you could potentially have the next NBA superstar on your team. So I think that's a huge thing to point out. Um, One of the things that I do want to address when we talk about this pick specifically is that, Ryan, I don't think you actually stumped me this time, but I think we we ironically thought with the same philosophy, just picked a different guy. I went with a guy, Miles McBride out of West Virginia, ironically enough, at this position, kind of for similar things. Now, Miles McBride was asked to be a little bit more of a creator for West Virginia, but I think Trey Murphy has more of the build defensively again for another team that struggled on the defensive end this past season talking about New Orleans so I think actually although our philosophies were somewhat similar I think you might have even made the smarter pick for what they need more immediately especially after looking at their recent trade that sent a guy like Eric Bledsoe away and brought in a guy like Jonas Valanciunas who's probably a little bit more offensive oriented I think that was a smart call on your end Moving over to 18, we have Oklahoma City coming up again, and I'm having fun picking for this team, I'm telling you. And at number 18, we get another wild card pick where Oklahoma City throws a pin at the wall and sees what sticks. And I'm going to go with Jalen Johnson out of Duke. This is a guy who I genuinely believe could have went a lot sooner. Um, and I think honestly has the kind of upside that could have made him a top 10, top 14 pick in this draft. Ryan, I actually had him slotted at 13 with Indiana simply because I thought they had so much depth across the board that they could just take swing, take a swing on a high-level talent. I just also can't be mad at the fact that you went with a guy like Corey Kisper, who actually might fit more with what their philosophy is moving forward, which is to try to make the playoffs now. Jalen Johnson is a 6'9 guy who basically – This isn't a great comparison in 2021 nowadays, but typically his associate in terms of NBA trajectory is Ben Ben Simmons. Now, of course, the struggle with that is what we've seen in these past playoffs and the wonder as to what he can be moving forward. But I genuinely believe that this isn't a similar case um, to Ben Simmons in terms of his fear to shoot or anything like that. I think that that Jalen Johnson is a very versatile big who can be a guy who can honestly provide for this team day one too as well as another guy versatility wise where I think if you take Shea Gilders Alexander and you put him around the three guys that we've selected in this draft and then you add Lucas Dort you could argue that they have one of the best young starting fives in the league day one if we're looking strictly at potential moving forward Um, I think Jalen Johnson at 6'9 he averaged 11.2 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.1 blocks, and 1.2 steals. Now, I think the biggest thing that hurts him is the way he left from Duke. 
I think that's one of the things that's been hurting his draft stock a lot. I think that's part of the reason why he lands here at 18. It gives OKC a chance to throw the dart at the wall. I just think that OKC has the chance to unlock some of these unknown um, flyer mile red flag style um, prospects. And Jalen Johnson and Zaire Williams are two of those guys that I think they can easily take a chance on and see what their boom bust potential is. When you talk about Jalen Johnson, he's a player that has a lot of defensive potential. He was he was known for his defensive skills at Duke. But this is a player that a lot of people were shocked that he fell out of the lottery with the potential that he had. And when you talk about potential, you're looking at an Oklahoma City team that, like you said, Jalen, has a lot of potential if they draft according to your mock draft. So I think the sky's the limit for Oklahoma City if they're able to develop these young players and make them into stars. I think, like I like I mentioned in previous episodes, there's a chance that Oklahoma City could end up winning a championship in the next three to five years, especially if they draft well. With the 19th overall pick, the New York Knicks will select Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky. 8.4 points per game last season with Kentucky, 6.6 rebounds a game, 0.7 assists per game. Jalen, Isaiah Jackson is a great athlete who has the potential to become a solid rim protector in the league. And he's a solid above the rim finisher as well, which could make that can make him a lob threat for the New York Knicks. And I think New York's in an interesting position overall with their front court. Nerlens Noel and Taj Gibson are set to become free agents. And it could be interesting to see whether or not the Knicks pick up the club option of Mitchell Robinson as well, considering that he's been he's been an improving center for them in the past couple of years. I don't think Jackson is a player that could start immediately, which is why I think there's a chance that they keep Nerlens Noel. Over time, however, Isaiah Jackson could improve where there's a chance that he he can get significantly better and get more minutes. And considering Jalen, he's 19 years old, he has that room to grow. Yes, sir. I think that this is an interesting one because he's a guy who I think was probably the only thing keeping Kentucky relevant for most of this struggle here that we've had this season. Um, he's a guy who was looking for a lottery promise early in this draft process, and I think it's probably going to hurt his pride a smidge to be in a situation like this where he's falling this low. But I think when you talk about the New York Knicks, he's that kind of gritty athlete at the center position who's a perfect fit. When you talk about the fact that they are pretty thin at that spot, like you mentioned beforehand, I think that's one of the biggest things that you have to touch on. And I think that he's a pretty elite athlete for the position as well, which I think is something that could stand stand out pretty early on. Now, obviously, they have a good good amount of bounce from a guy in OB Toppin as well. And I think that if you can make this team a little bit more athletic in the front court, along with what they already got growing up, I think they're in a relatively interesting situation. Now, the one thing that I do find a smidge interesting about this team in particular is taking a swing on a young guy. How does that float with a coach in Tom Thibodeau who typically doesn't play younger players? It'll be really big on Isaiah Jackson to play himself into the rotation. I think he has the upside to be able to do that, though, and I think it's going to be really interesting. We saw that already from our boy out of Kentucky last year. I think I think that a guy in Isaiah Jackson has the opportunity to be able to do something like that um, this year. Now we're looking at number 20 and I somehow fell into my team's pick. So I must choose wisely. So what I'm going to do, 
as opposed to my initial thought process, I am going to switch gears very quickly and I'm going to go with Miles McBride out of West Virginia. My initial choice was actually going to be Jaden Springer, but I genuinely believe that Miles McBride is a guy who I think is just going to project really well for this team. He's not as much of a project, the guy who has a little bit more under his belt in terms of what we've seen from him, a guy who had to be a primary shot creator for West Virginia, a guy who is going to project very well as a wing defender. I think that they only continue to double down on the wing defense, right? We've already seen, um, we've already seen a lot of stuff from a handful of the wing play that we saw in the playoffs um, for this Atlanta team. And I think that Miles McBride only fits more into that lane as a guy who can be a backup point guard to Trey, something they desperately, desperately need, or a guy who I think can play really well next to Trey Young as a guy um, who pretty much will not be asked to do much besides, I would argue, um, play defense as a secondary defender to cover up for Trey in terms of what he, um, you know, what he's going to be asked to do early on. I think one of the biggest things that you have to touch on too is his fit next to very simplistic guys like Cam Reddish, next to DeAndre Hunter, next to Kevin Herter. I think that's where things get really interesting is how versatile is a guy like Miles McBride when playing next to those other versatile wings. I think if he can play the point guard position and step up as more of a facilitator, I think that this could be a really interesting pick as a guy who could play coming off the bench for this team and give them good minutes. So just to re uh, just to recap our 11 through 20, we started with the Charlotte Hornets at 11, selecting Kai Jones. At number 12, San Antonio selected Alperin and Sagoon. At number 13, the Indiana Pacers selected Corey Kispert. At number 14, to round out the, the lottery, the Golden State Warriors selected Moses Moody. At number 15, the Washington Wizards selected Usman Garuba. At number 16, the Oklahoma City Thunder selected Zaire Williams. At number 17, the New Orleans Pelicans selected Trey Murphy III. At number 18, the Oklahoma City Thunder selected Jalen Johnson. At number 19, the New York Knicks selected Isaiah Jackson. And at number 20, the Atlanta Hawks selected Miles McBride. And I think when we're talking about a player like Miles McBride, this is a player that has the potential, like you said, Jalen, to be a guy that ends up starting alongside Trey Young, even also a guy who can end up leading the second unit for the Atlanta Hawks. And when you talk about the talent that they acquired in this past offseason, they have a lot of talent coming off the bench where Miles McBride could lead an offense potentially with some solid veterans. So I think that this could end up being a very good fit for the Atlanta Hawks. But like I mentioned earlier, Jalen threw a wrench at my plans with the 21st pick as I was supposed, as I was slated to select Zaire Williams from Stanford. This time with the 21st pick, the New York Knicks are going to select Chris Duarte from Oregon. This is a player Jalen has argued and still arguing to this day that he should have won the Pac-12 player of the year. And this is a guy who's a very solid shooter, but also a quality defender. He averaged almost two steals a game in Oregon, and he's a very good three-point shooter, averaging 42% shooting from beyond the arc. And he's able to also be a solid shooter at the line as well, 81% shooting from the line. And this is a guy that can be instantly added to a lineup 
considering that, like Jalen mentioned, Tom Thibodeau is not, not a coach that likes playing younger players. So Chris Duarte is 24 years old. He's experienced. And I think this is a guy that can be ready to go when the New York Knicks draft him. Yeah, and I think it's really reflective of their Obi Toppin pick, too. I think it's one of those things where you can tell that the New York Knicks are trying to be a relevant team now. They did that with being the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference last year. I think they definitely played above expectations. And I think that right now, all the playoffs did was validate that they need more shot creation and more scoring around Julius Randle, right? What we saw in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks was that they struggled to really create any kind of offense outside of Derrick Rose really at the guard position. I think that Grish DeWarte automatically gives them a guy who can stretch the floor and a guy who a guy like uh, Julius Randle, who's an elite passer, passer at the power forward position, can kick out to and feel very confident in being able to hand him the rock um, to hit shots down the stretch. So, I mean, I think Chris Duarte is the perfect New York Knicks guy. Honestly, you could argue that he could have been taken at that 19th overall pick. But I think that being able to land him at 21 is a perfect way for the chips to fall when you talk about New York. Um, moving to 22, we got to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Lord, man, they need all the assets they can get considering that they're one of the top teams in the NBA looking to somehow improve despite having a very, very expensive payroll with not much flexibility around it. So with that being the case, I think they're going to address the one position that's plaguing them the most, and that's the guard spot. When you talk about the guys like Alex Caruso stepping out, obviously Dennis Schroeder is a guy who wants to command a lot of money, a lot of money I don't think the, the Lakers really want to pay. I think that the perfect pick is Jared Butler, I think that him out of Baylor is a very good fit. He's a guy who's kind of had a little bit of uh, bumps in the road throughout this draft process with the health and safety protocol issues that took place early on. But he's a guy who's going to step in early. He's a shot creator. He's a guy who's a high IQ player, easily can step in and play next to a guy like LeBron James from day one. He's going to be a good big time facilitator that can help um, in terms of being able to facilitate the guys like Anthony Davis as well. And I think the biggest thing that comes to mind when you think about Jerry Butler is the fact that he's going to be a step in and play day one. Even if he's not the starting guard for this Lakers team, I think he's going to be a huge asset from a character standpoint and a locker room that obviously is filled with all kinds of interesting names. Of course, LeBron James being one of the best players in the world, he's also going to have that guy as a mentorship as well. I understand he's a little bit on the older side, so the mentoring kind of sounds a little far-fetched, but when you talk about one of the best guards, arguably when we talk about LeBron James being one of the most positionless players in the NBA as well, learning how to play the guard position from one of the best, most versatile guys in the league, perfect way to segue your way in. I think Jerry Butler is a perfect pick for this. And I think that is a perfect pick considering that Jerry Butler is an experienced player, older player as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is, this is somebody that Frank Vogel can instantly plug into a starting lineup or give significant minutes to coming off the bench. So I think that Jared Butler definitely is a guy that can mesh well with the Los Angeles Lakers. So I think that could be very interesting. So with the 23rd overall pick, going back to the Houston Rockets, the Houston Rockets will select Sharif Cooper from Auburn. 20.2 points per game, 4.3 rebounds a game, 8.1 assists per game last season at Auburn. And I want to talk about those 8.1 assists per game because Jalen, he is one of the best facilitators in the draft. He has great ball handling and playmaking skills, a crafty shooter who could put pressure on defenses when he drives to the lane. And when you talk about Houston, they're in full rebuild mode. 
and Sharif Cooper has the capability of growing in a young Houston backcourt with a young core of players like Kevin Porter Jr., Kenya Martin Jr., Christian Wood, potentially Jalen Green. I think that there's a lot of young players that could make Houston a dangerous team down the line. But I'm interested to see what happens with John Wall if they select Sharif Cooper, because this is a selection for the future, and Sharif Cooper is part of that future. John Wall may not be part of those plans. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is that, obviously, when you start looking at this team, focusing on getting younger, obviously a guy like John Wall is going to be one of the first names that's mentioned on the trade block, which is also tricky because of his contract situation. But when you look at the fact that Sharif Cooper and Jalen Green are both players that are taken in this version of our draft. I think that that's where you have to start really questioning who's the odd man out. And I think that that John Wall thing is going to become a very spiraling news topic as we get further and further along this offseason, because I think that they're going to want to clear the decks and focus on this team being more of a young um, up and coming rising team, as opposed to being a team that's trying to compete for a play in spot right now. I think this is a team that wants to get young and talented and take a flyer mile, miles of guys. And I think Sharif Cooper, I think the biggest thing that comes with him is obviously the undersized position um, positioning of him as a guy who's definitely going to be a one, but is going to need a lot of hiding on the defensive end. Um, but you just can't sleep on his ability to facilitate. I think if you put athletes like Jalen Green around him, I think that that puts him in a really good position to be able to thrive early on because with his elite passing, I think that he's going to be a guy who can pretty much step in and give you 10 to 15 really good minutes of offense. And he was a high for, uh, high frequency guy um, in terms of his usage at Auburn as well. So he's a guy who can definitely step in and be a microwave scorer off the bench for this team if need be as well. Um, we're moving on to uh, the 24th overall pick, and Houston has another pick. So this back, our first back-to-back, -back, I think our only back-to-back -back in this entire draft. And um, again, monkey wrench thrown in a little bit with the fact that Isaiah Jackson was taken at number 19 by New York. So I'm going to go with my first flyer mile on this pod because, honestly, this is a guy who's been flying up draft boards, not necessarily sure what all the buzz is about besides his interesting measurables. I'm going to go with a guy in Auburn teammate JT Thor at the center position. I think that this is a really interesting situation for JT because he has to go to a team that's willing to really kind of give him a chance to develop. I think when you give him a facilitator like Sharif Cooper or for for even if you want to settle with a guy like John Wall, who you know might have to be on your roster, at least for the extent of, um, the extent of this season, you put two high facilitating guards like John Wall or Sharif Cooper next to a guy like JT Thor, and it opens up a lot of his offense. He's a guy who, um, for lack of a better way to really associate him with any other players, he was compared a lot to Bowl Bowl with a little bit more of an athletic pop at Auburn. I think that that's something that's really interesting to think about because Bowl Bowl was once projected to be a lottery pick before his injury concerns came into play. JT Thor is also a guy who was considered to be a guy who, if he went back to school next season and played at Auburn, would maybe play himself into the lottery as part of the 22 class. I think if Houston could hit on a potential lottery pick at a lower pick a year early, not only does that get them, get them get a guy like JT Thor into their program ahead of schedule, but it also gets a talent like him off the board before another team can take a name at him at a later date, like the 22 draft, for example. So I think taking a flyer mile on JT Thor at a position like center where they obviously kind of need the depth, 
um, behind a guy like Christian Wood. I think it would honestly be an interesting situation for Houston to just take a, take a stab and see what happens. I have to agree because I think when you're talking about a guy like JT Thor, this is somebody who, like you said, has been rising up draft boards, but I've mainly seen him in the second round. So I think this could be maybe one of the biggest surprise choices in the first round for a guy like JT Thor to be selected with the Houston Rockets pick at 24. But for all the reasons that you mentioned, I think when you're talking about depth, this is a team that really does need the center depth. I think when you're talking about a player like Christian Wood, you also have Kelly Olynyk, who's a free agent. So it depends what the Rockets do with Kelly Olynyk's contract, depending on whether or not they keep him or they, they end up letting him test the market in free agency. I think those that'll be the main factor because I think when you get a guy like JT Thor, I would, say, I would say definitely a reach at 24, but he has that potential where he can do a lot of things for the Houston Rockets, especially with that young core of players like we've been talking about throughout the episode. With the 25th pick, the Los Angeles Clippers will select Trey Mann from Florida. 16 points per game last season with, with the Florida Gators. 5.6 rebounds a game, 3.5 assists per game. Trey Mann is a solid three-point shooter. He shot... from three last season. Impressive playmaking and ball handling skills. He also has an amazing floater as part of his solid shooting. The Clippers were one of the best three-point shooting teams this past season, and I think Trey Mann would fit right in as a player that has the consistent shooting from three. And they also need somebody who has strong shot creating skills, considering that Kawhi Leonard will be out for most or all of next season. And that's even if he decides to stay with the Los Angeles Clippers. So I think Trey Mann could be a player that steps up and becomes another viable scoring option for the Clippers. Yeah, I think Trey Mann's an interesting uh, prospect for this. I think that it, for me, I do have a little bit of a trepidation between him and Nashawn Highland out of VCU in terms of uh, the fact that Nashawn Highland was a guy who was a high volume scorer. But Trey Mann is a guy that from three from three point range nearly dead eye out there from Florida. And I think that's one of those things that'll be really interesting, regardless of what LAC decides to do. They definitely need to go for some offensive pop at the guard position. I don't think they can keep getting away with just putting Patrick Beverly on um, as a lead guard for them. They also had the philosophy of playing Lou Williams a lot of minutes before they made that trade for Rondo. I think that's because they know of their offensive deficiencies in the backcourt. They have the development going on. Um, across the board with some of the guys that are sitting on their bench. But I think that they desperately, desperately need more scoring at that guard position. And I think Trey Mann does give them an opportunity to do that. Um, at the 26th overall pick, and man, this is this is getting tricky because there's a specific name that has not been called yet. And I, I, I can't wait to see if maybe he gets called in these next couple picks. But, hey, man, I'm going to go with my fit right now with the Denver Nuggets and go with Ayu DeSumo out of Illinois. Um, I think he's the perfect glue guy for a team that really just needs some glue. I mean, they did it already beforehand, bringing in a guy like Aaron Gordon, who I think in the power forward position specifically addressed that this team wanted to play more up-tempo and get a little bit more athletic. Um, although Ayudasumu does not necessarily pop as an athlete, he's a guy who plays really well in the pick and roll. I think that's a huge note when talking about the fact that this is a team that's going to be missing from Jamal, missing Jamal Murray for most of next season. A guy who was one of the most elite pick and roll point guards in the league. I would argue that he's top 10 at the position in terms of pick and roll play next to a guy like Nikola Jokic. I think that Ayudasumu addresses their 
lack of guard depth. If we remember, they picked Austin Rivers up off the scrap heap to play in the playoffs this past season. I think their lack of offensive depth and overall guard depth is something that I think Ayu Desumu can address early on. He's an older player who definitely can just step in and give effort on the defensive end. Like I said, one of the top end point uh, point guards or I guess uh, combo guards in this draft in terms of being um, a pick and roll player. And next to one of the best passers in the NBA, there's gonna be a lot of open looks for him as a guy who continue to increase um, his, his shot volume from beyond the arc and also got more efficient over these past three seasons. So I think that with that being taken into consideration, I assume we can step in for a Denver Nuggets team like this one and definitely just, you know, fill in the spots that they need uh, addressed the most. And I think when you're talking about a player like I assume, especially with the phenomenal season that he had in Illinois last year, I think there were some thoughts that he was going to go in the late second round to begin the season, but with the play that he had the past couple of with the past couple of games to close out um, Illinois season, also in the tournament as well. I think Ayu Desumu has that ability to be a dynamic a, a dynamic scorer for Denver, considering that you need someone who can provide you that scoring as a second option while Jamal Murray is out. So. I think it's going to be interesting to see who Denver selects and if and how well they mesh with Nikola Jokic as being a viable second option. With the Brooklyn Nets at pick 27, the Brooklyn Nets will select Nashawn Highland from VCU. 19.5 points a game last season with the VCU Rams. 4.7 rebounds a game, 2.1 assists per game. This is a player in Nashawn Highland who we have described throughout the season as a bucket getter. He's, he's also one of the best pure scorers in this draft, but I think that's something that isn't as talked about is his clutch is his ability to make clutch shots. This is a guy in Nashawn Highland who has won numerous games for the VCU Rams. I think that being on a team with the Brooklyn Nets, there are a lot of playmakers on that team. So I think Nashawn Highland's role could be very, or Nashawn Highland's role could vary based off of what Brooklyn needs the most. I think what Brooklyn needs the most is backcourt depth. So I think getting a guy like Nashawn Highland could improve on that backcourt depth. And this is a guy who can give you that instant scoring coming off the bench. Yeah, man, Nashawn Highland is an interesting prospect who's been flying up the board for the, his ability to score and shot create for himself. And I think the biggest thing too, uh, I had him actually going to the Clippers as an interesting pick as a guy who could shot create um, um, and also help with, you know, the facilitating aspect for this team, although he's more of a high volume scorer than a facilitator. Um, but obviously, you know, the Clippers are a very heavy ISO team, especially with guys like PG and Kawhi. So I figured he'd be a guy who in the second unit could kind of just run things. But I think on Brooklyn, it kind of fits the same bill as a guy who could be behind Kyrie Irving, behind James Harden. Uh, with staggered minutes next to those guys as well. I think it'd be a guy who can give them some offensive pop. I think especially when you talk about the fact that there's going to be lineups where he's going to have to be the lead guard next to a guy like Bruce Brown. Um, so I think that would be a really interesting fit because they definitely need the offense. Um, Ryan, we're at 28. We're at our last three picks to this draft, and there's two guys who have not come off the board yet, and I'm super shocked, but that just goes to tell you how interesting this draft goes. So I'm hoping to be able to address both of these guys um, with these picks. And the first guy I'm going to go with is at 28, the Philadelphia 76 to select Jaden Springer. I mean, geez, Louise. Talk about a guy who was marked as high as being in the lottery 
and as a guy who kind of completely floated out of our minds this entire time, I think the biggest thing to touch on, I mean, for me personally, the highest I had Jaden Springer was at 20 to the Atlanta Hawks. That was kind of an interesting spot where I wanted him to go. I honestly, there's a part of me that wants to go back and put Jaden Springer where he is. Um, so I'm actually going to uh, keep Jaden Springer right here for Philly, but in future um, in future endeavors of this situation, I think I would normally switch these around. I think that Jaden Springer might be a more interesting fit on Atlanta as opposed to Miles McBride and associate with Philadelphia. Um, so if you don't mind, actually, I am just going to do it on the pod because this is our last draft, uh, our last and only draft before um, before the uh, the draft actually releases. I'm actually going to switch Miles McBride and um, uh, Jane Springer in terms of their teams and have Jane Springer go to Atlanta and I'm going to have Miles McBride go to Philly. I think this is a lot more realistic, number one, because Miles McBride is shooting on boards, but I do think more realistically that Miles McBride is a guy who will be a really interesting late round steal. So just to kind of give a kind of brief synopsis on Jane Springer's fit with Atlanta, I think he's going to be a guy who could be a secondary ball handler next to Trey Young. He has a good, big, good physical frame that's going to put him as a really nice secondary defender in the backcourt as well. He's going to be a fit with a lot of that wing depth, like I was talking about with Miles McBride before. And I think he kind of fits in a lot of the different pockets that I talked about with Miles McBride in terms of being a guy who can be a secondary ball handler with a little bit of defensive upside. Now, talking about Miles McBride going 28 to Philly, again, very interesting flip on the fly, but I think it's something that might actually fit more of the realistic draft scenario. Miles McBride with Philly does a lot of the things that I think he would do for Atlanta. He's going to be a guy who you can put the ball in his hands. He's going to be a guy who can offensive shot create. He's a guy who also is going to lock up on the defensive end. This is a team that already has a lot of versatility defensively. When you talk about the fact that Joel Embiid is one of the best rim defenders in the league, and then it only kind of gets better from there with guys like Danny Green. So I think Miles McBride is actually a little bit more of the Philly guy, actually, in this draft as well. And I think that that's going to be an interesting setup if he is selected at 28. Because you saw, I had him as high as 20. So I feel like this is a steal for Philly at 28. And I think it'll be an interesting fit, considering the fact that we still don't know what's going on with Ben Simmons at the guard spot either. I think Springer could be an interesting fit on the Philadelphia 76ers, considering that they could use some guard depth as well. I think both teams, both playoff teams as well. I think they, they both could use guard depth for different situations. I think miles of miles McBride is somebody that I think Philly could develop into a great starting point guard. I think when you talk about Jaden Springer, this is somebody that you can plug in next to Trey young, also give you that microwave scoring coming off the bench. So I think both players are interesting fits for their team. And I, I don't think they're bad fits as well. I think they could end up being strong fits for their team that actually give both teams another viable scoring option. With the 29th overall pick, Jalen threw another wrench in my plans because I actually had Ayu Desumu going at 29 to the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to go and get Cam Thomas from LSU with the 29th overall pick for the Phoenix Suns. This is a guy, when you talk about bucket getters, Cam Thomas is exactly that. 23 points per game last season at LSU, 3.4 rebounds a game, 1.4 assists a game. This is a guy in Cam Thomas, I think with the right surrounding, I think he could be one of the best players in the league. 
I think it will be about fit. I think when you're talking about somebody with that 20-point-a-game scoring like Cam Thomas has, I think you pretty much just have to put him in, in the right surrounding, in the right team environment, or on the right team, that he's able to get those 20 points a game. I think what will be interesting is what Phoenix does with, with campaign, considering that campaign is going to be a free agent, and he was definitely a viable scoring option for the Phoenix Suns coming off the bench. So I think Cam Thomas could be a guy coming off, coming off the bench that could fill campaign's role. Yeah, I think Cam Thomas is an interesting pickup, especially because the the future of campaign is determined so much on what Chris Paul's contract decides to look like. Right. They have the mid-level mid-level exception as something that they could potentially use. They might have to use the entire mid-level exception to be able to bring back a guy like Cam campaign which is another thing that's really interesting as well. The biggest thing that I think might be a, a struggle is that Cam Thomas did a lot of what he did at LSU on high frequency volume as a shooter. He's pretty much, he pretty much had the biggest green light in all of the NCAA. And Cam, I hate to put this on you because I've been watching you since high school. And I think that you are one of the most intriguing prospects in this draft, but I've seen a lot of situational relations between you and Jimmer for debt out of BYU. That is what has been going around in terms of the situations, and they are extremely similar. Biggest green light in the on the team, let alone the conference, and a guy who definitely was not much of a, a facilitator, really a net negative on defense, and his primary thing was giving them offensive pop. So I think for Phoenix, is definitely an interesting um, – way to address the campaign situation. Um, but I definitely think from a BPA standpoint, he is one of the better guards left on the block. I'm just going to go with the other guy who we forgot in the mix of all of this and has been a bit of a faller, um, which maybe makes this pick a little bit more realistic than the Jane Springer one. But for the 30th overall pick with for the Utah Jazz, I'm going to go with Keon Johnson out of Tennessee as well, man. I'm telling you right now, I don't know what made us forget these two in terms of uh, just their overall production at Tennessee. Maybe it's just because of the fact that we didn't get to see a ton from them. We saw pops here and there, but they're two guys who are still some really intriguing enigmas. Keon Johnson, this is one of those things where he gives me a lot of Dennis Smith Jr. energy, unfortunately, especially with what he did at the combine. Remember the biggest thing, hyper athlete, one of those guys that definitely could jump out the gym, going to be a dude who will be scary in a dunk contest. But how will he be as an offensive threat, as a guy who's going to fit on a team that wants to, you know, you know, make a run at the championship. I think that Keon Johnson is an interesting fit. I was really tossed between him and Josh Christopher at this spot, but I just don't see Keon Johnson falling out of the first round. And this is a high, high, high upside pick at number 30 for Utah, who desperately needs more off the bench production at the guard position, especially with the fact that Joe Ingles is getting up there in age. And I think that they, they need another guy, another hyper athlete, um, I think that, uh, remember, we saw the same thing with Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville, hyper athlete that didn't have a crazy offensive package and then first on the scene for Utah. I think that Keon Johnson, if given the opportunity, could potentially fall into a similar slate. We also did see the resurrection of Jordan Clarkson in Utah. I think that's something that could also play in Keon Johnson's favor. Like I said before, Really interesting that he was able to fall this far, but I think that's just how the cookie crumbles. That just goes to show you how deep this draft is, question mark. 
when you talk about the fact that honestly, when you look at teams fit, anybody can land anywhere. Keon Johnson has been falling down board significantly. Um, I had him going as early as the New York Knicks at 22. So, I mean, that just goes to show you that the monkey wrench was thrown in because I think that for a team like Houston, for example, that had two cracks at it, I think Sharif Cooper just fits better with what they want projection-wise. So, man, definitely an interesting draft just to read things back. Um, I'm going to start from number one and read out our entire draft, including Jalen's mid, mid-draft switch that took place. So, at number one, start with the Detroit Pistons who took Kay Cunningham. At number two, the Houston Rockets took... Jalen Green. At number three, the Cleveland Cavaliers selected Evan Mobley. At number four, the Toronto Raptors selected Jalen Suggs. At number five, the Orlando Magic selected Jonathan Kuminga. At number six, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Scotty Barnes. At number seven, the Golden State Warriors take Davion Mitchell. Number eight, the Orlando Magic take James Booknight. At number nine, the Sacramento Kings select Franz Wagner. At number 10, the Memphis Grizzlies select Josh Giddy. At number 11, the Charlotte Hornets select Kai Jones. At number 12, the San Antonio Spurs take Alpernin Sangoon. At number 13, the Indiana Pacers select Corey Kispert. To round out the, the lottery, the Golden State Warriors at number 14 select Moses Moody. At number 15, the Washington Wizards take Usman Garuba. At number 16, the Oklahoma City Thunder take Zaire Williams. At number 17, the New Orleans Pelicans select Trey Murphy III. At number 18, the Oklahoma City Thunder select Jalen Johnson. At number 19, the, uh, the New York Knicks take Isaiah Jackson. At number 20, we had a big old switcheroo that has Jaden Springer actually going to the Atlanta Hawks. At number 21, the New York Knicks go again, picking up a guy in Chris Duarte. At number 22, the Lakers select Jared Butler. At number 23 and 24, the Houston Rockets select Sharif Cooper and JT Thor. At number 25, the Los Angeles Clippers select Trey Mann. At number 26, the Denver Nuggets select Aya Dusumu. At number 27, the Brooklyn Nets select Nashawn Bones Highland. At number 28, due to my switcheroo, Miles McBride will be going to the Philadelphia 76ers. At number 29, the Phoenix Suns bulk up the backcourt with Cam Thomas. And to round things out, at number 30, Utah gets a very, very much deserved uh, bite at the apple with a top-level pick that falls in Keon Johnson. So, Ryan, before we wrap up the podcast, bro, just final thoughts on this, on this mock draft, whether it's specific picks that were made, just the process in putting together your mock draft coming into this exercise, um, responses to some of the stumps? Like, what are your overall thoughts on just everything with this mock draft? Definitely not as easy as as, as the uh, the uh, online aggregators would like to make it seem. I definitely was surprised that I wasn't stumped until the 16th pick, especially considering that I was, I was thinking you were going to select Kai Jones in the top 10. I thought that uh, Franz Wagner was a guy you could have selected earlier around that 6-7 range. But I think that the biggest shocker, and this may be a testament to how deep the draft is, is how far we let the Tennessee guys fall in our draft, especially with Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, two guys that were before the college season slated to be top 10 lottery picks. We had Jaden Springer going at 20 to the Atlanta Hawks, and we had Keon Johnson slated to go number 30 to the Utah Jazz. Now, I think in terms of fit, I think both of those fits make sense, considering that 
both teams who were playoff teams last year could use that backcourt depth to really improve for the future. But I think it's just a testament to how great this draft is and how talented this draft is, especially at the guard position, that two guys like Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, two talented guys like Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, fell as far as they did in our draft class. Well, I think my response, although it might come off a little bit negative, kind of bounces off what you say. And I honestly think that maybe it's not that this draft is extremely talented, but that's how many enigmas are in this draft in terms of where they can actually project at the next level. I think the biggest thing when it comes to this draft is that a lot of guys past the top five have been or arguably top six since Scotty Barnes has been shooting up draft boards significantly, especially as of late. I think that Honestly, after you get past the top six, the enigma across the board is that any guy you select has boom or bust potential, right? I think Davion Mitchell is a guy who some have said that Golden State isn't very high on taking him at seven, despite the fact that he is a very integral fit for uh, for not only their timeline, but in terms of what they need at the guard position. Then you look at a guy like Franz Wagner, who like when he projects, right, he's going to project as a three and D wing who does need to improve as a three point shooter. That three point shot is his swing skill. Even when you get later on in the list, man, one of the guys you mentioned, Kai Jones, he's been probably the most confusing player since this whole draft process started. And that's along with the fact that his homie Greg Brown didn't even go in our first round selections. And I don't think he'll be a first round pick on draft night, despite the the fact that he was slighted as a lottery pick for most of the college season. So I think when you really look across the board with interesting names like Zaire Williams, uh, Jalen Johnson, JT Thor, who we mentioned in this podcast as well, I think there's so many unknowns in terms of what they could project to that I think this might be one of the most interesting draft classes in recent memory, just out of the fact that we could get 10 superstars from this draft, or we could get half of them as role players, or we could only get three of these guys who last through past their their rookie contract. So I think that although, yeah, it might come off as a little bit more of a negative approach, I think it actually more so is less of a negative and more of a uniqueness in terms of talking about what this draft class could look like a couple years down the line. And just going back to the Tennessee guys as part of our question of the day for our fans, how far do you think both of the Tennessee guys, Jaden Springer and and Keon Johnson, will fall in this draft? Do you think they're top 20 picks or do you think they will be selected in the late first round, picks 21 to 30? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.